and welcome to the first ever Embed Maradona podcast. My name's Scott Salter and I'm the editor-in-chief of the site. Now for those of you who don't know what or, or who Embed Maradona is, let me give you a little insight. For over 10 years we've been telling some of the stories that make the game beautiful. From the Argentine second division to Serbia's football landscape, we've covered the game's untold stories. You might have heard of the Embed Maradona 100, our flagship feature. In it, we predict the 100 youngsters set to have the biggest impact in world football. From David Alaba in 2012 to Dybala in 2013, we've predicted the stars of the game today on many occasions. We've got some wrong too, of course, but we'll gloss over those. Now, this is our first ever podcast. It's been on the list for a while, and we thought that now is the perfect time to give it a go. Before I introduce our esteemed podcasting guests, let me talk you through the format. It's worth saying that this is our pilot for our, first, for our final podcast, which we'll look to release in the future. We're calling it the Embed Maradona A to Z. We'll discuss topics from all over world football, whether it's the Super Classico in Buenos Aires or the hot young talent making the waves in Dutch leagues. We'll pick a story for every letter, discuss them and give our verdicts. We hope our podcast can do what our site has done for such a long time, tell the stories from the corners of the world that are often untouched. For this, the pilot episode, we're looking to discuss the past season as a whole. From the Premier League to Brazil, we've got a bit of everything. Now, let me introduce my guest. I'm joined today by two of Embed Maradona's editors and two experienced podcasters, um, Susie Scharf and Stevie Green. Uh, so first up is Susie. Hi, Susie. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm very honoured to be a part of this uh, pilot podcast. No uh, for it. If you're not familiar with me, I write about German football, um, pretty much Bayern Munich specifically, uh, since 2008, have written for ESPN FC. You can find me at Bayern Central and Bundesliga Fanatic now, and uh, also co-host the only English-speaking Bayern Munich podcast in the world currently, uh, the Recordmeister podcast. Perfect. And then we've also got Stevie joining us. Hi, Stevie. Hello. Um for those who don't know me, I've spent the last five years inflicting untold misery on other Aston Villa fans with uh, former IBWM editor Chris Nee. Um, that's come to an end now, so I've moved over to inflict more misery on you. <laughs> I'm not sure why you'd, why you'd put yourself through that, Stevie. Uh, Villa. Villa's been a tough season for you guys, hasn't it? It's uh, It's been a form of therapy, if anything else. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's get let, let's get started with our A to Z. Um, now, obviously, this is this is throughout the whole season, and I think you'll both agree it's been quite a season on all fronts. Um, we'll start with A, and A is for Arsene Wenger. Now, it seems to be that that he's he's the topic of discussion wherever you go at the moment. Um, is it time for him to go? Time for him to stay? Um, have the players let him down? What do you guys think? Oh, wow, it's kind of hard to unpack after after such a long year at Arsenal. Um, I know that the majority are tipping him to go now, mm-hmm. that now is the time. Um, as a Bayern Munich homer, of course, it's been lovely to beat up on them <laughs> in Champions League over the last few years. We will miss them in, in next year's group stages, I'm sure. Uh, I think whatever but, happens, Arsene Wenger won't, <laughs> mi- won't miss you guys. Yeah, probably not at all. Not at all. Um, a stat that I found really interesting, though, was that um, they finished the season with 75 points for finishing fifth, which is definitely the highest point total 
for not making it into at least you know Champions League play in. Yeah. Um, and and there's something to be said for that. But I don't know. I think like for me personally, after all this time, maybe the club does need a fresh look. What about you, Stevie? Um, I, I still think he's got something to offer. Um, he's made a lot of bizarre decisions and. You know, it seems to be when a season's going on every week, there'll be a story of involving Arsene Wenger saying, I could assign this player, I could assign that player. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, why the bloody hell didn't you? Yeah. Um, and I think if he'd, you know, he's been there since what, 96? So all those seasons he's had, he's kept Arsenal in the top four. If this had happened in his third season or fourth season, nobody would have batted an eyelid. But because he's been there so long, it's going to look like he's running out of ideas and he's running out of steam. Um, whether he is or not, I, you know, I don't really have an opinion on that yet because I think that would become clear next year, but I think he should go because he's become, he's, you know, he's become a meme. He's become a joke. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Those Wenger outposters are appearing everywhere and he's not going to shake that off ever. No, he's almost become a victim of his own success, hasn't he? Like you said, his, his repeated top four finishes now make this, fifth place finish um a failure yeah and i mean he's the cup final coming up he's got a chance to to redeem himself a bit and and either end on a high or or have a high note to go into next season and for me I, i'm a bit torn um i think that arsene has been a fantastic manager and he, he really revolutionized a lot of things about modern football in the premier league but yeah I, is it is he old-fashioned now? Is there all these new managers with new ideas uh, or developments? Is he being left behind? I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer. I'd like I to mean, see I... him there next year, I think. But that's just me. Yeah, I, I think I do tend to agree. But not many Arsenal fans do, do they? No. Uh, and then the other <laughs> question is, if they get rid of him, who comes in? You know, huh. there's, there's not that many top level managers available um, you know they, they could give it to someone young and fresh like Eddie Howe but that's a big step up from Bournemouth to Arsenal and we've seen managers do that before and struggle um, mm. so you know I wouldn't want to be the Arsenal board making that appointment if, if he does go well whoever does come in is going to struggle as we've seen at Man United as we've seen you know, even at places like Bolton and Charlton, when guys like Kerbishley and Allardyce left, they struggled after that dynasty was removed. Yeah. Um, so it, it wouldn't matter who they got in because they'll probably finish fifth again the season, <laughs> you know, the first season the new guys in. Yeah, I think it's it's a, a sign of, of the standard of the Premier League these days, isn't it? It's when Arsenal were finished repeatedly in the top four, they really were four good teams. Obviously with... Um, Man City's money that that's put them up, and Spurs have just been incredible the last two seasons. And mm. if it wasn't for Leicester's heroic season and, and Chelsea's fantastic one this year, Spurs would have had two league two league titles probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to to be on that one um, because I don't think we could debate Arsene Wenger all day, as I think every <laughs> every football fan could. And now, Susie, this is this is probably one for you with B, which is a story that's broken out of Germany, and you may have to forgive me for the pronunciation on this. But Bibiana sure. Steinhaus um, is going to be the first female referee in the Bundesliga from next season, um, which is obviously a huge, huge move for the league and 
and the game as a whole, I think, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, 38 years old. Um, she's got a, a bit of a refereeing career in front of her. Uh, police officer as her daily job. And I was looking at something, and I don't know if this is true, because it, it, it ended up being from Daily Mail, that she was uh, partners with Howard Webb. Okay. Did you see that? <laughs> Did I didn't you see that. that. <laughs> if you'd asked me how this I, podcast I, was going to go, I didn't think it would go there. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, you know, I tend not to believe anything from there, but I, I, it, it kind of caught my eye. Um, yeah, uh, Germany as a whole, the clubs, you know, uh, tend to strive for the left and equality and um anti-homophobia and anti-misogyny and you know there are clubs that do that really well and and I think for her it's a natural progression in her career she's already done some um uh fourth refereeing positions in matches for the first division um but with the you know she did the gold medal women's match at the 2012 London Games and the gold medal match for the 2011 uh women's world cup as well um this is this is just what she should be doing uh she's a very very good rep she's been in the zweite bundesliga for oh gosh since 2011 i think and uh good on her the first female in europe's top five leagues to be a ref um she's got a she's she's got a commanding presence and and you know there's no bs with her at all and Mm -hmm. uh I'm sure it'll. I'm. I'm sure it'll be a challenge uh, for her, but she's already doing it in a level just below. So I don't see why she wouldn't be wildly successful going no. forward. And I think it, it's like you said, Germany as, as a whole is um, very pro equality and stuff like that. And and I think again, it's a reflection on on the state of the league and such a fantastic place um you know it's completely different to the premiership it's not driven by money it's driven by youth development largely it's driven by fans um and you know we've seen we've seen young coaches given chances like julian Nagelsmann, and this is he's done fantastic and you know now now we've got a, a the first female referee and not only female but really young as well compared to many referees yeah. um so it's really sure. really amazing yeah, I can't wait. I'm 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 looking forward to it. I'm I'm sure you know uh, all eyes will be on her. Um, but uh, she's uh, she's in a position to handle it very well. Yeah, it's really really exciting to to see how she does. Um, we'll move on to C now, and again I've set myself up for failure here with this pronunciation. Um, so I might just leave it at at Chape, and then Susie, I know you you pretty much nailed this pronunciation, haven't you? Yeah, uh, Shopping <laughs> That's it. And obviously, this is the the Brazilian team who um, so tragically lost so many of their their players and and staff in in a plane crash, wasn't it? Um, in in November, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, yes. And it's just been tragic, obviously, um, but a remarkable turnaround for them in that they so easily could have. Um, could have really really struggled because we've seen so many teams in in history um suffer tragedy like this from the grande torino side to the uh, manchester united busby babe side and they've it's hard to rebuild after that um but you know they've they've relied on on a community in brazil and argentina who have really 
um, help them with loaning players, helping them build back up their squad. And I think you've really got to admire them as a as a side. Although Stevie might have a point in a minute that that negates that. Um, but you know they they were offered the chance to be exempt from relegation for a few years, but they said no. We want we want a fair playing field. We want to um, we want to fight and we want to do it the proper way. Um, and then they won their first title since the crash, the the state championships. Um, now obviously they're going into the um, into the national championships. But it's just a remarkable story, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, it really wonderful. Um, I really admire them for sort of turning down the um, immunity from relegation because that that I think could border on to them being a charity case, and I, you know they won't want that. Their fans won't want that. Um, and just being given the opportunity to thrive without having any sort of special arrangements made will make, I think eventually will make the story all the more um, inspiring. Um, you know, obviously coming, being born of such tragic circumstances, never ideal, but um, I think the way it's all, it was all handled was, was really mm-hmm. sort of heartening. And it showed, it showed the football community as a whole, didn't it? Worldwide, the, the tributes and everyone's really, really touched by, by the story. But obviously, as I know, Stevie, you uh, you were telling me before we started that that the story's taken another another twist, hasn't it? Which you you really couldn't write. No, um, they've actually been uh, disqualified from the Copa Libertadores this week. Um, they uh, took on Argentinian side Lanús on the seventeenth of May. And they had a defender called Luis Otavio, um, who played, and he actually scored. He scored the winner. Um, but he'd been sent off in the game the week before, and so he should have been suspended. And he wasn't, and he scored, and now they've been disqualified. And what's really ironic is that he's actually on loan. Uh, he's one of the players that joined on loan. Um, so, yeah, you really couldn't write that. No, it's just an incredible story. I mean, how much does a team have to go through in a season? <laughs> you yeah. know, like uh, I, just just for a denouement like that, you know, is is just heaps on the tragedy. Um, I hope going forward. And there's a bit of a kerfluffle as far as uh, Conme Ball and their emails saying that he was suspended. The club is saying that it might have gone to spam or they sent it to the wrong place. So it's just kind of a it's kind of a crappy iffy situation and uh you can't help but feel horrible for them once again yeah. i do love the idea though that the club have you know the governing bodies email set to go to spam <laughs> well it is could <laughs> that's true that's true and now if we if we come back to to the british shores um and we've touched on tottenham and what an amazing season They've had not only this season, but but the one before. And the man really at the heart of that has been Deli Ali, and that's who we're we're covering at D. Um, and it's just just incredible, isn't it? I think uh, you know playing for MK Dons in in League One a couple of years ago, no one could have predicted the way that he that he um, that he stepped up. Even in Bed Maradona with our one hundred, couldn't have predicted that. He's been fantastic. Um, he's he's a, he's another player um, who really makes me love football again because he plays it with such style and such confidence and he's just sort of taking it all in his stride and I, I'm sort of you know with players that young who 
make such an impact so early, I think it's you, you sort of have to anticipate a bit of a drop off at some point. Mm. Um, but I just hope that if or when that happens, there's enough there to support him through it and and he can recover quickly. But at the moment, he's um, he's just been brilliant. He's he's the best player in the country by a country mile, in my opinion. Yeah, I was having a debate the other day about um, when will a, a British player win the Ballon d'Or again? And you know, Gareth Bale is probably the um, obvious choice there because obviously mm. playing for Real Madrid and one of the world's most expensive players. But actually, I think Dele Alli's the the most realistic chance for um, for Britain to win the Ballon d'Or, and that really hurts me being a Welshman saying that. <laughs> but um, I think, and Susie, you might be able to add a bit more on this being a Bayern Munich fan. But I think he's one of the only British players that those big clubs would look at. Yeah, certainly. I mean, his his record. He's he was involved in forty goals and sixty three appearances before he turned twenty one. Uh, that's kind of an amazing stat, and and, and it shows um, a lot of maturity at at such an age. And 18 goals this campaign, um, you know, brings him brings him definitely into the limelight. Yeah, um, big clubs right now would be perfectly honored to take them off uh, Spurs' hands for <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it says says bucket loads about Spurs though that. That I don't think he will leave, not for not for a number of years. They're such a strong side and such an exciting side that um, the best years are ahead of him and Spurs, I think. Well, I think um, a lot of that's going to be dependent on how they do, how they settle into Wembley because they've they could, they weren't able to buy a win there this yeah, season. That's true. Um, and it's Wembley, you know, is a great stadium. It's a great place to have a national stadium, but it's not a home. It's nobody's home and. I think it's going to be really difficult to replicate their what they were doing at White Hart Lane at such an almost impersonal venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and we've seen how other sides have struggled in in the Premiership, haven't we? Go into these bigger stadiums, and like I said, Spurs have struggled themselves. West Ham have had a, a torrid season, really, at the Olympic Stadium for mm-hmm. the first one. Um, which I wonder if there's there's something within Britain how how we build our stadiums um, because you know you look at stadiums across across Europe and there, there doesn't seem to be that problem as much. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you guys have any thoughts on that. Well, I think the, the you know the most sort of immediate uh, example I can think of is Southampton when they moved from the Dell, which was famously this really sort of <clears throat> shackle ramshackle little ground and they moved to St Mary's and, and they struggled as well in their first year there and mm-hmm. I think when when there is a new build stadium here it is it's quite impersonal it's it's very cookie cutter um it doesn't feel lived in it doesn't feel intimidating um because I'm, maybe there's just so many so much red tape surrounding it and so much health yeah. and safety regulations that the Premier League because of certain events that have happened in the past are so strict on that it will it will take away what will make a ground um like a livable space for a, for a set of fans mm. so i'm a cardiff city fan and we we moved a few years ago from ninian park which was one of the most hostile atmospheres for away away fans and teams in in the british leagues probably um and, and the cardiff city stadium is just like you said it's i don't know if it's the red tape or just the way that football's going 
Um, but the club, I mean, it won the family club of the year for like two years in a row, and that's unthinkable as as, as a Cardiff <laughs> fan. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing because obviously it's good that families can come to football, but it shows that that they've not been able to replicate the intimidating atmosphere. And then I think the the results have suffered as a result. Mm. Um, so that was Deli Ali, obviously a young player, and we'll move on to E, um, another bunch of young players. And we're talking about education, um, which may surprise a few of you. Um, but we we featured a really excellent article on Embedded Maradona this year um, by Tom Coleman. Um, it was about Cardiff Met, and it was featured also on The Guardian, um, as we're part of their sports network. And in it, Tom Tom spoke to a few few of the guys at Cardiff Met, and it's about their story. Um, it's received a lot of coverage in the last couple of weeks, but they were promoted to the Welsh Premiership um, last year, and then this year they've they've actually qualified for Europe via the playoffs. Um, but it's for a team full of students who they pay to play. They, um, you know, they they're in full time education, and it's just an incredible story that shows. Um, you know, a real good side to football and to these these students who are who love the game but also take their education as as important. Yeah, for sure. It for me, it's such a dichotomy. Uh, uh, reading that when you consider, of course, I'm, I'm an American and and our college system and the way that players become professionals here, which is completely unlike anything in the rest of the world, right? Where yeah. Education, education here in the States tends to be, you know, most everybody comes through college. You don't have guys that are <clears throat> that are going pro at 16, 17 years old. Every everybody's picking a school and getting their degree and then moving on to a professional career from there. So for me, it was really interesting um, to read that as an outlier I suppose than the system that I'm used to here in the states mm. um, and uh, it's really really impressive uh, what Met has been able to accomplish I think they're sort of living the dream there really aren't they because um, you think you know I, I very briefly played for one of the uni teams when when I was uh, in education and it's just it's just a group of mates isn't it and you're playing other unis in the area, but to to get to the verge of Europe, Europe is um, it's just something. It's quite special. <laughs> I think it's interesting you saying there, Susie, about the American education and and obviously all almost all professional players go through college and get their education. Um, do you think it's something that football should implement? I'm not. Uh, it depends on where football wants to go. I mean, when when you look at um, the quality of MLS, or you look at the quality of the U.S. national team, uh, you would say no. Um, <laughs> Play—it's—it's <laughs> it's kind of average. It's—it's it's not horrible, but yeah. it's also not great, and it doesn't compare to Europe's top five—you know, top leagues—and it definitely mm. has a, a far way to go. Uh, the problem, age-wise, is that. You know, guys, guys in Europe and in South America are, are peaking, you know, at 23 years old, depending on situation dependent or, or you know, uh, position dependent, of course. Uh, defenders come to tend on, you know, come on later and yeah. whatever. But but uh, 
in the States, guys are starting their pro careers at 23. So they're, they're getting to the peak at like 28, 29. And then, you know, by your early thirties, you're almost done Mm -hmm. pretty much all the way around. This is also position dependent, but so there's a much, much shorter window in the States because of the college education um, Mm -hmm. for players to achieve uh, a, a truly worthwhile, great career. And I guess it's that's reflective as well of uh, football is a global game, isn't it? Where a lot of these American sports are played just in North America. You know, the NHL, NFL, they are sole leagues, really, aren't they? So I think that that system is reflective of that largely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like I, I, I really, <clears throat> I love that. I love the Tom Coleman article and I found it really, really fascinating. And, and uh, I think that there would never be a system like that here, but the possibility that, that these guys can be getting their masters and their PhDs and still be playing in a top league and, and, and sniffing around Europe. I mean, what an amazing, amazing accomplishment. I think that's a very, very big deal. Yeah, it's a really excellent article, isn't it? And if anyone's not uh, read it, it's really worth worth going to Embedded Maradona and checking it out. We had another excellent article from Tom um, the past week about a Newport County fan who travelled 5,000 miles or something to, to witness them survive on the last game of the season, which is just an incredible story. And it's probably something that, that you would do, Susie, isn't it? Going to, to Munich to see them win the title or something? I've, um, I went to the 10 final. I went to the 13 final. I went to the 12 semifinal in Madrid. I've probably, over the years, I've been to the Allianz or um, to the Olympiastadion. Uh, not quite 100 times, but maybe 70. That's so... incredible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Quite, quite yeah, a so, yeah, yeah. Well. I, 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 I do. Um, I was a bartender before, and I was making uh, over here in the states. You make quite a bit of coin doing it. So, um, I was able to get to Europe, especially while I was writing for ESPN, probably five times a year. I was spending like twenty thousand dollars a year on travel. Um, Jesus. <laughs> and we think it's bad in London. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, real dedication. I've been a member of the club forever and a lifelong fan. But, but you know, they're one of the top three, four biggest teams in the world. Um, uh, for for that guy's journey, you know, from California to go see Knotts, right? New, Newport County. Oh, Newport County, excuse me, starts with an N, um, <laughs> is is remarkable that it's, you know, like a lower division club. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> to sit to sit and suffer with, you know, thousands rather than multiples of thousands of fans, mm-hmm. um, just to see them stay up. Uh, damn, yeah, that's a really, really, that's a cool experience. Yeah. <laughs> And speak, speaking of fans, that, that segues nicely into our next letter, which is F, and we're talking fan TV. Um, it was impossible not to not to have that for F, the impact it's had this season. Um, particularly, we've talked about Arsene Wenger, and Arsenal fan TV has been you know, leading, leading the way, both positively and negatively. Um, and I, I don't know what you guys think of it, but for me, 
I think fantasy V is a good thing. I think that um, the ludicrous stuff gets the attention, particularly on Arsenal fan TV. But there's a lot of good content, and it's giving fans a voice, which is you know what um, fanzines and and websites like ours have been doing for a long time, and it's just a, a modern adaptation of that. I think. Yeah, um, th- there are a lot of good ones out there. I think you know it's almost. Um phenomenal how arsenal fan tv has become you know it's almost international yeah. in in terms of its recognition and its and its um viewership um but at the same time i feel like it has turned them into a bit not a, not a laughing stock but they're being mocked for it yeah. um and you know i guess that's all part of it because it is reactive and it is emotional and if you're catching somebody at the end of a game when their their blood's still up, you know that you're you're probably not going to get them at their most coherent. Yeah. What, what about you, Susie? Um, uh, I love it for its. I mean, it's it's kind of hilarious, <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially Arsenal fan TV. Um, it I, I think it does add um a dimension maybe to the Premier League that wasn't there before. Um, you mentioned that uh, the, the attitudes and the atmospheres are, are a bit more sterile in the league, and, and I think it shows a lot of passion. Um, I know that um, I watch it almost every week, or if I miss weeks, or I'll go back and rewatch different things. And, um, yeah, it, it I think it's a big influencer, Um as far as Wenger and the club and how the club is seen going forward and especially coming to light this season, um, whether that's good or bad is yet to be determined, I suppose. But um, <clears throat> I like that fans are, are getting a chance to say how they feel. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's excellent. And like I said, there's, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, and I suppose it is no different to, you know, Stevie, you say you do your villa, podcast or you did um you know and it, it's similar to that it's fans having a voice yeah it is, it is and you know don't get me wrong i think the fans do deserve a voice um and i i find it quite heartening that there are a community of fans out there who will speak up for their club and put themselves forward to represent it to a wider audience and i really enjoy that but i also think it's going to have a, a strange impact on how clubs are supported because you've got people now who have their own YouTube channels and all they'll do is they'll go into a game and they'll film themselves watching the game mm. and it's almost as if that's their main focus rather than what's happening on the pitch and that to me is quite strange um, you know if I live in London so if I'm going to pay the money to go back to Birmingham to watch the Villa and pay for a match ticket I want to be in the moment I want to watch the game I know you know we're all different but sitting there putting my phone in my face is, is literally the last thing that I could yeah. want to do, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I went in the in the summer with Embed Maradona. We went to um to the Euros, went to the opening match, um, France Romania with Nike. And uh it was really interesting because there was a lot of bloggers and vloggers there and um you know we went to the opening match and, and to me it was just a dream, you know, I've always love football, love the international tournaments and be in there at the opening ceremony, the atmosphere, it was incredible. But all these vloggers and bloggers all had their cameras in their face and, and lots of them weren't watching the game. So it was really interesting and 
I get that that's their content and that's what they do. But sometimes you just got to sit and, and, and appreciate the game. Yeah. And so we'll move on to G and, and Stephen. This is probably one that's close to your heart. And we're talking about Graham Taylor, who obviously passed away um, the past season. And and I know you're, you're as a Villa fan, he's, he's very close to your heart. Yeah, I mean, I think as a Villa fan, you, you could look at and think that with everything that's happened on the pitch over the last 12 months, it's not a good time to be a Villa fan, and, and you'd be right. But also, we've had a terrible year in terms of deaths. I mean, last August, um, Dalian Atkinson passed away, um, and then Graham Taylor, and then just recently, Hugo Ekiog. Um, yeah, of course. Died from, from a heart attack at a horribly young age. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I was a bit young to really get the full impact of Graham Taylor's first uh, spell at Villa. Um, I remember his second spell, which was not good, to, <laughs> to put it frank. Um, but by that point, he'd already, you know, he'd already cemented himself as a as a legend in Villa fans' eyes, and he'd come in uh, at a point when we'd been relegated to what was then the old Division Two. Um, he signed players like David Platt. Like York, and, and and got Villa back up at the first time of asking, and I think had had it not been for that, Villa could have really missed out on on the formation of the Premier League and, and become you know a, a provincial also ran that had no real effect on on the shaping of the game today. Um, not that they have done that too much, anyway, <laughs> but still from a from a personal point of view, I was. I really appreciate what he did for the club and he's um, a, a massive legend at Watford as well and over the summer the two clubs are going to meet in a, a pre-season friendly that's I think at Vicarage Road um, that's going to be held in his honour and I think he deserves it and I, I'd quite happily see one of Villa Park's stands named after him Yeah, it'd be a fitting tribute, wouldn't it? We'll move on to H now um, and we, we touched on Deli Ali, but the other man that has just been in incredible form for, for Spurs is Harry Kane. Um, bold question, but is he the best striker in Europe? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> bold call, nah. bold call. But he has had an incredible season, hasn't he? And top goal scorer in the Premiership, despite having you know a bit of a spell out of, out of the game and in, with injury and playing less matches. He, he just scores goals, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I like him a lot. I think he's a, a really good player. Um, but then I... You couldn't really see Harry Kane at Juventus or Barcelona, could you? Um, and I, I just wonder if that brings them down a little bit in, in our sort of collective estimation. Mm. But and, and a lot of people, um, regardless of... Of scoring so many goals and winning the the top goal scorer award, people still call Harry Kane a one season wonder. Uh, why is that? Is it because he's English? It might be. Uh, it might have something to do with um, England. Uh, English teams not going far in Champions League or not far enough in recent years, and and the league <clears throat> from the outside seems like it's taken a bit of a downturn. Um, yeah, probably the reputation is is for that reason and that reason alone. Because I think if, if Harry Kane was a young 
German striker who, you know, just, just playing for Bayern Munich, just had these incredible couple of seasons. I think everyone would be going crazy, wouldn't they? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I think it's important that he stays with Spurs, and I think that uh, Spurs, should they maintain um, those sort of level of play over the last few seasons or get better, um, it's only a better... Uh, it only uplifts... Uh, not only Kane's profile, but the league's profile as well. Yeah, I think the, one of the worst things Harry Kane could do is go to someone like Man United, who have you know been linked, and I think he's at home at Spurs, and he's he's the main man along with Deliar, and I think that suits him. Um, we move on to I now, and and for us, I is standing for Invincible, um, and believe it or not, we're talking about Brendan Rodgers, um, who would have thought after leaving Liverpool that that he would have an, an invincible season in the league, but he's done just that with, with Celtic and he really has rebuilt his reputation. Um, and, and yeah, he's been outstanding. And I know a lot of people will say that the league in, in Scotland isn't as strong, but still, wherever you are, whatever your league you play in, an invincible season is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, that's um, that's one of Scotland's problems is that it is always compared, it's always going to be compared to the Premier League, unfortunately, when it's in fact completely different and that difference needs to be embraced. And, you know, the money's not there, the so the, the facilities aren't there and it, it's it's never going to hold a candle to it in terms of, in those kind of terms. But I thought he could definitely get himself another job and do well. And yeah. I'm, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to see that he has. Yeah, me too. I think that, that he takes a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of stick. Um, oh, he's an absolute weirdo. Right, yeah, but... yeah, he is. <laughs> but, um, and well, for me, speaking of weirdos, we'll go on to Jay, which is John Terry, um, and just <laughs> <laughs> this end of season antic. He's leaving Chelsea. Um, great servant for them. What was that all about on the last day of the season? It was embarrassing, wasn't it? It really, really was. And I just, I can't get my head around it. I think I said this this on Twitter, and I just, why would he want to come off after tw- twenty six minutes, whatever it was? Why wouldn't you? If your last ever game for the club that you love, why wouldn't you want to play for ninety minutes and enjoy it? Someone was asking him, uh, you know, you're not playing very much. How do you feel? And he, and he said, well, I almost don't want to because when they bring me on, that means something's going wrong. And mm. uh, well, fair enough, but. Um... I mean, it's that incident is being investigated now, isn't it? Because uh, somebody make a bet on it and yeah, I think there, there made, were two, made a bit two of bets, yeah, um, yeah, and it's and from Sunderland as well. I mean, David Moyes and why would they ever agree to do that? It's, it's turned it into a bit of a farce, hasn't it? Well, this season has been a farce, hasn't it? But that tops it off. I feel like. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it'd be like the hell with you and and your guard of honor. In the yeah. first half, I mean that, but that kind of speaks of of John Terry as a man, not necessarily a footballer, right? Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, um, <clears throat> in his explanation of of that little bit of ridiculousness, he used like the pronouns I or me over thirty times. <laughs> Everything was me, 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 in 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 explaining all that and. I think that goes a long way into saying, you know, who he was 
or, well, who he is as a person. The footballing aspect is fantastic. Yeah. You know, and the whole rest of it leaves uh, something to be desired, I think. It does. Um, we'll move on to, to Kay, which is a man that completely contrasts with, I think, everything that John Terry stands for. Real likable football, which is Dirk Kaut, um, who, who, like so many um, players of his generation, have retired this season. And he retired back home with, with Feyenoord and really made history well, leading them uh, to the first Eredivisie title in, in many years. Um, and, and what a player, for me at least. I don't think he gets the plaudits that, that he deserves. Kind of quietly established this very lengthy, uh, very impressive career and yeah. just uh, kind of went about his business. Um, I think it, 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 it probably went unnoticed by a lot of people unless you watch Eredivisie you know, that he scored a hat-trick in his last match and then mm -hmm. said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty remarkable. Um, over 100 caps for the Netherlands as well. It just just a really, really cool guy and, and kind of an amazing, uh, quiet career. Yeah, and I think that at Liverpool especially, it was he went so unnoticed how important he was for a number of years and he almost became disposable but once he was gone he was missed yeah for sure we'll what, go... uh, how many seasons was he at pool four more than that i think I... i'm not 100 percent sure i think it must be yeah, about sure. six or seven i think oh okay. i'm sure i'm sure someone will correct us while listening <laughs> um just writing down make sure we do research next time <laughs> um we're going to l now and susie i'm sure that you could go on um a, just a monologue on this um, we're talking Leipzig. Um, I'm just going to leave it there and, and let you talk. Yeah, and and uh, when Scott and I were discussing the the pod, I said L is for Leipzig. It can't be for because <laughs> Lom is definitely a more worthy, I think, so subject I, than Leipzig. So I have but... permit, permitted Susie to have two L's. Um, you know, it's a it's a meteoric rise. It's it's eight years. Uh, the club is eight years old. Started in the fifth division. Um, you know, pretty much was promoted every year, and this is their first year in top division German football. And they came in second, sixty seven points and a plus twenty seven goal differential. Uh, I mean, that's really that's not horrible for your first Bundesliga season. Most teams tend to go back down. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they've um, they've got hate, haven't they, throughout throughout the world really, but especially in Germany, because they they go against what German ownership is all about a lot of the time, don't yeah. they? Yeah. They get so, around so, it, bend the rules, but yeah, go on. So the 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 German name is Traditionsvereine, right? Which are traditional teams and they're teams that operate under, we call it the 50 plus one rule, where um, membership has a say in 51%, at least, of football clubs. There are clubs that are, are grandfathered in, like Wolfsburg, obviously, car company, and uh, Bayer Leverkusen, the big ph pharmaceutical company, uh, Hoffenheim as well, but it's only because uh, Dietmar Hopp invested so much money in the city as well uh that they were accepted and still a lot of people hate hoffenheim too yeah uh, but but the the 
the Red Bull hate is is strong uh, across the nation, <laughs> very very strong. But saying that, you know, so so I'm a traditional girl, and I love the fifty plus one rule because you know I love the fan atmosphere in the Bundesliga and across Germany, uh, regardless of what tier league it is. Um, but when you step aside from that, right, got to get out of your head a, or <laughs> get out of your heart a little bit. They play really good football. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're they are they're fun to watch. Um, the two Ralphs, uh, Rangnick, the sporting director, and Hazen, who's the coach, they have them in really good shape. Mm. And um, going forward, of course, they have unlimited money. Um, they're going to need to expand this summer to compete in Champions League competition. Um, but they have, you know, they've got a good young base as well. And and knowing that they're financially, it doesn't matter. Red Bull doesn't care about making money on the team. It's mm self-promotion for the company so saying that guys like Timo Werner and Nabi Kaita and uh, Emil Forsberg uh, Poulsen and and Ollie Burke you know kids that are young uh, going forward there's really there's there's not a whole lot of downside as as what they can do <clears throat> uh, I think you, you said the young stars and that is the one thing that I think is admirable about them is They've not gone out and spent... They've spent money, but they've not... You know, like when Man City got all their money and they went and bought Rubinho and, you know, they have bought young talent. They've developed a bit and, you know, from Kaita to Werner, they, they are some some of the best talents in world football are in Leipzig. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, they seemed pretty not concerned about their, about their debutante status. So um, they may be a team to watch out for as far as Champions League competition next year. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, getting onto that European stage, um, how a team that young deals with it. Yeah. And another young team will move on to M, unless you wanted to say anything about Philip Lam, Susie? Um, he's my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I mean, obviously, huge Bayern Helmer, and he's been involved with the club for nearly two decades. And and uh, the only trophy he never won was the 2008 European Championship, right? And uh, <clears throat> I was at the match, the semifinal in, um, where was it? Gosh, why can't I? I can't even <laughs> think right now. Switzerland uh, in Basel, uh, where he scored the winning goal to beat Turkey 3-2 to go into the final. And I went back to Munich to watch the final in Munich. And it's funny that that's the only title he never won and that he was responsible for giving up the Torres goal for Spain to mm. win it. Uh, <laughs> but I've had the pleasure of seeing him in person from... <clears throat> a teen through the composed man that he is today and uh, uh, just an absolute legend and a gentleman of the game. And it's, it's sad to see him go. Because he's one of those players, isn't he? That, that no matter who you support, you can't help but like him. Um... Right. It's, it's like cut, you know, or we'll talk about Xabi Alonso, you know, like these are guys that, I mean, people hate Xabi for whatever reason, but if you're really thinking about it, like who they are as people and, and what they brought to the sport for as many years as they did, it's really hard to find fault with yeah. guys like that. Yeah. 
We'll move on to M now, um, which is for Monaco. And um, what a season they've had, Stevie. They've finally overtaken PSG with so many young young talents. Yeah, they've been so exciting. Um, best team in Europe for me at the moment. Um, <laughs> and I know they didn't quite make it to the final of the Champions League, but um, they've just been really good to watch. Like The players they've got, so good, isn't he? He's absolutely rapid. He and is, for an 18-year-old yeah. kid to have that kind of head on his shoulders is frightening um and they've got the, they've got the best out of Falcao again which is worthy of praise within itself it is isn't it it's really really nice to see actually that considering the you know, he didn't do well in England but the stick that he got was just unbelievable wasn't it and I mm. think that's um really shown during how bad the British press can be at just totally writing off a player um, yeah and that's... and thinking that the British leagues or the Premier League is the be-all and end-all, you know, from Torres to, um, to to Falcao, players like that, that they just write off just because they have a couple of bad seasons in the Premier League, that they're, they're a flop, they're a joke. Like, it's just it's just ridiculous, but it's really nice to see. And obviously, Monaco are, are only getting better. They can keep their young stars, and they they look to be adding Yuri Tielemans, who is featured for so many years on the embedded Maradona 100 um it's a real bright future yeah he's gonna he's that's a really smart move for both of them can keep the bulk of those players together add a few more players like T elements and maybe a few more um players like that who you wouldn't expect them to sign but have somehow managed to to wrangle it and and they can just build on it because I really like Liga and I really like French football but the last thing I wanted to see was it become a one-horse race, and them and Nice as well. I think you know we should have an honourable mention for them because definitely. they um, they definitely weren't out of the title race until near the near the very end. And you know, seeing Balotelli back on form has been <laughs> has been brilliant. Cool. And with staying with young young talent, um, we'll go to N, and, and that's for Julian Nagelsmann, um, who has just had. An impact that that no one could ever predict. I don't think, Susie. Yeah, uh, gosh, he's twenty nine years old. I'm so much older than him. <laughs> I was in high school when he was born. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he's the type of guy that makes you feel really crappy about your life and what you've achieved when you when you consider his age and what and what he's been able to do. Um, <clears throat> fourth in the Bundesliga this season. Uh, and just really, they they they're pretty moderate as far as like transfer market. They don't have a ton of money to spend. Um, they tend to be one of the clubs that gets rid of uh, their best players every year. Again, it's going to happen this summer. Mm. Um, but but over a season and a half, he's he's managed to keep the team from one going down. Uh, he took over after Hoop Stevens had uh, heart trouble six months before he was supposed to. And at the time, Hoffenheim was in 17th out of 18 spots in the Bundesliga um, and brought them out of relegation and then really kind of barnstormed the season to to a very impressive uh, fourth, play, fourth place finish in the league. Mm. Um, and that included a pretty emphatic win over, uh, over Bayern, hey. didn't it? 
<laughs> yeah, uh, that it was a crummer a calf folly, right? Yeah, that, <laughs> that did us in. Um, Oliver Bauman probably should be a goalkeeper of the Bundesliga for the season. Um, he was fantastic in that second half. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Bayern had over 20 shots on target, if I remember. Um, that's funny. That match, uh, Carlo Ancelotti didn't take it very seriously from a Bayern end and started Renato Sanchez in midfield, which is kind of <laughs> ponderous. That was a very ponderous move considering Sanchez hasn't played the entire season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, you know, going into playing into Champions League. Um, I think they with Nagelsmann uh, and now Hansi Flick, who was uh, DFB, and now he's the sporting director at Hoffenheim. Um, I think that's a good partnership going forward. Uh, Flick is Flick is a really really good guy and very good at his job. And uh, Nagelsmann has the seems to have the reins on his club very well. Um, I look forward to seeing if they can uh, truly compete in Europe next year. And I think it'll have a lot to do with uh, how they do how they fare in the transfer market market this summer yeah and that's a transfer market is a good little segue into O um, which we've cheated a little bit but we've gone for Oscar um, in, in as a symbol of, of the Chinese transfer market and obviously he, he went for a ridiculous fee and is it a sign of times to come that, that China are the major player in world football no yeah, that was uh, are they pretty the major certain. player <laughs> <coughs> here's my he, my feeling on that is is uh, as attractive as the money is, and it's very attractive. Um, there's always going to be guys that don't want to get out of their element. I mean, you already see that to a lesser extent in Europe. Like, you'll see English guys don't want to go to Germany because they don't speak German. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are kind of moves that people already don't want to do in one continent, much less something completely you know 180 degrees different than what they were doing rather than 90 um i think it's interesting that um the majority of players who have gone over are south american and you know their their countries um a lot of them come from poor upbringings and and from poverty so for them it is about the money isn't it as much as they love football it is about the things that they've they've never had and been able to provide for their families and and I think that that that's shown with who's gone to China. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that. You know, I I guess maybe the guys in Europe don't feel the need to go because they're already millionaires. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can totally get your point. Where where especially considering where the world many of the south americans come from you know they get that chance and maybe i can play there for three years and and take home you know 40 million 30 million euro and then i never have to work and my family doesn't have to either um that's that's pretty amazing and i don't think you can fault anybody for that whatsoever well, I think, you know, um, it, it says like, the, the most prominent European player there at the moment, I think, is Axel Witzel, um, who, when he left Zenit, was, he looked destined to go to Juventus. And he, he admitted that 
um, the money was what swayed him because he said, you know, I could I can set my family up for life with just two years here. So, mm. and he was he was sort of still flirting with Juve while he was saying that, saying, well, hopefully in in two three seasons I can um, fulfill my destiny and, and go and play in Turin. But for now, this was this was just too much of a good opportunity to turn down. And mm. I, you know, I, I I get that, but I think there's always going to be, you know, if you're a player at the top of your game as well. Europe is the place to be. Um, you want yeah. to play in Champions League. Let's not kid Juventus would have offered him pretty good wages, wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, he definitely wasn't going to be poor going to Juve. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I think Os- Oscar's the one that that shocked me the most because you know a lot of the players before him who have gone, are, you know, Carlos Tevez, Lavezzi, they are in the twi- in you know the later years of their career, but. Oscar had so much to offer still at, at the top level of the game. Um, you know, he needed to leave Chelsea. I understand that, but I think he was linked with Juve as well, and he had so much to offer. I think he's only twenty four, twenty five, isn't he? Mm. Well, no, you know, in his case, you can probably see him coming back at some point. Um, whether he'll get the move that he wants or the move that he thinks he deserves is another story. But um, at his age. Yeah, you could say it would make good business sense to go there, if not good football sense. Yeah. And then we'll move on to P now, um, which we've got for Pochettino, um, who to me has just been one of the most impressive managers um, in recent years. I remember when Southampton replaced, um, was it Nigel Atkins? They, they sacked yeah. and brought Pochettino in, who was at Espanyol at the time. And a lot of people just questioned the sanity, really, because... I mean, largely similar to when Marco Silva came in for Hull. Um, mm. And just what a job he's done. He's gone to Spurs and he's taken them within touch and distance of the title. Um, is he one of the best managers in the world yet? I think he's got to win something before he can be considered one of the best in the world. But he's I think he's one of the most interesting and, and certainly one of the most exciting. Um, but then, you know, we, we, say, we say this, but to me there's always something just a little bit unexciting about Spurs. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is, <laughs> even despite what everything we've said about Kane and Ali, and obviously Christian Eriksen, um, fantastic player as well. And I really like their backline and Hugo Lloris in goal, but there's just something about them that I can't put my finger on. <laughs> and I don't know if it's an extension of, of him or if it's just the club in general. And I say that I don't say that to disrespect Tottenham fans. My father's a Tottenham fan. I've always had a little soft spot for them, but. Just something's not quite right there, and I can't figure it out. <laughs> but it's interesting that, that um, an Argentine has, has perhaps revamped the future of English football, giving people like Danny Rose, Carl Walker, Ali, Kane, really taking them up to the next level. And, you know, if England do have any success in, in the next few years, it's probably down to Pochettino. I think it, it, there's nothing but upside for him, you know, being at Spurs right now as they're on the ascendant. And and he has put together a squad that, if they stay together for the foreseeable future, might uh, start to garner some titles for them as well. Um, I think he should stay exactly where he is. Yeah, future looks bright. I agree. Now we'll move on to Q now. Um, so we're on to Kike Setien. I think is how you say his name. And now this is the last Palmas manager um, who is just. Again, a young manager who's had an excellent season. Um, and Las Palmas have, have come from nowhere. They, they only finished 14th. But 
it was an excellent season and I think it's the, the style that he's gone about it that's that's intrigued so many people. Um, apparently he, he uses, uses chess quite a lot to, to improve his football and he's all about tinkering and innovating the way that his that his um, teams play. I know nothing of chess, but I... <laughs> 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 nothing, I have no patience for it. But um, uh, Scott, you referenced the These Football Times article. Yeah. Uh, really really interesting and the way uh, the the mentality that he approaches his coaching career i find fascinating mm-hmm. even though i don't particularly uh like that's not my brain at all you know so i don't particularly <laughs> understand it uh but i appreciate uh what i read about it yeah and it's a really interesting quote from him um he says i like all the it's fundamental. Chess and football are similar. The pieces are connected to attack and defence. It's vital to dominate the centre of the board. And it's a really interesting, interesting approach and one that I don't think we've seen for for a long, long time. And I think he's he's got big admiration for Johan Cruyff's methods, and and that's clearly evident in in his side and and, and the way that he's building and going about his business. Um, but we'll move on to to R and River Plate. Um, Marcelo Gallardo, who is who is their young manager, and he's really, really, really impressed there. Um, again, this is another excellent young football. Uh, these football times article that uh, about him, um, and it's really fitting actually with our next assignment um, in Buenos Aires. Um, so it's a really, really interesting man. Yeah, I remember him. Um, I remember him as a player actually. Um, you know, I hold my hands up and say I've not really seen a lot of his work as a manager, but I remember him as a player. Um, and he was always very exciting then. Uh, and I, I remember uh, when sort of transfer rumours became more of a thing um, in the 90s, he was linked with Villa, and I got very excited having watched him at the um, World Cup in 98. Mm. Um, but sadly, it never happened. But he, he's um, played for Monaco and PSG, um, but spent the bulk of his career at River Plate. So he, he seems like a River Plate boy. You know, it seems like this is the place for him to, you know, he's been there th- what, three years now. So this seemed like the place for him to to really grow and develop himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, he was an excellent, um, excellent player. I think he was a bit of a creative midfielder, wasn't he? And, and I think he's bringing that um, that style to, to his coaching. And it was an interesting fact that he was the first coach to appoint a female assistant to his staff in, in Argentina's top division. Um, so, you know, he's clearly clearly forward thinking, um, modern. And it's an interesting approach in, in Argentine football that is so often led by passion um, and, and intensity. So really interesting to see what, what he does with River Plate and, and where he goes after that, really. Um, and then, so another manager, we'll move on to S. Um, we've got Marco Silva, um, that is just just incredible the way that he revitalised Hull. Sadly, they didn't stay up. Um, no particularly had much feeling towards Hull, but I really liked Marco Silva and he made me root for Hull a bit, so it was, it was disappointing to see them go down. Um, but the reception he received in English football was, was appalling, wasn't it? It was, but you know, Paul Merson came out with some real ridiculous comments uh, when he was appointed. Um, but, you know, thankfully he's been proved wrong on several occasions already this mm. season. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's quite interesting how reflective it is of of football punditry in, in the UK and, you know, people like Merson um, who clearly don't don't know that, that much about 
outside of the Premier League and it's it's such a shame because there's so many talented football writers and, and um, you know, social commentators that, that don't get the crack because ex-pundits like Merson get the get the top jobs when, and they shouldn't. Um, mm. But what I mean, one of the things we were going to discuss was whether Marco Silva should be staying at Hull. Um, but of course, I, I believe he's announced that that he's leaving, hasn't he? Yeah. What about what about Palace with uh, with Allardyce gone now? Could be Marco Silva's job. Yeah, well, Palace do have a decent squad when you look at it. Um, if you can sort of convince Kabai to stay and and get him playing again and sort of turn Christian Benteke into the player that he was at Villa. Um, I think Palace could really, uh, well, you know, they won't challenge for anything, but I think they could have a very, very good season. Yeah. Um, we'll, go, we'll go on to T now, and this is a man that I'm really excited to, to talk about. Um, one of my favourite footballers, um, Francesco Totti, um, who, of course, retired, announced his retirement, um, and just an incredible, incredible career um, to stay with Roma the whole time. And, and to achieve what he has um, really exciting player he's kind of one of those players that I thought he would just play forever and now yes. it kind of now once he's going it, it's sinking in and it, it hurts 25 years is kind of forever in football years though right yeah I mean he's, been, he's older than me like he's been playing longer than I've been alive <laughs> like, I don't know football without Francesca Totti and that's scary <laughs> I mean, how does Roma go on without him um, you know I know he has been playing less minutes, but his leadership, the presence, um, obviously they've, they've got a very suitable captain in, in Daniel De Rossi to, to step into his shoes, but you can't be replaced, can you, Totti? No, no. Play, I mean, play, players like that are becoming less and less common as well. Yeah. Um, so we move on to, to you now, and, and we've got Unai Emery, um, the, the PSG coach, and not been a great first season for him in Paris, is it, Susie? No, um, but still not horrible. Second place, correct? Yeah, but when I mean when it was starting to look like PSG were monopolizing the league, you know, have they have they progressed since since he was appointed? No, it, it, so this kind of <clears throat> harkens back to to M and to Monaco and and the way that I think the two teams go about business. Um, PSG is more willing to splash the cash and, and, and they buy talent, I think, more than promote, where Monaco has gone in the other direction in the last several seasons and has promoted youth or bought cheap and, and brought players up. So, yeah, while they had, you know, somewhat of a stranglehold on the league, I I don't know. I, I guess you could say disaster, but, I mean... Well, I think the bigger disaster was... Uh... The collapse against Barcelona. They they had that in the bag after that first leg. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the the biggest collapses I think the Champions League has ever seen, isn't it? Um, do you think he keeps his job? Mm, yeah, I think so. Um, so we'll move on to to V, which is we've got Vincenzo Montella, um, an AC Milan manager. He's um, you know he, he's been in charge there for I think is this his second season? Maybe his first. I think so. Yeah. Um, and, and he's finally guided AC Milan back to, to European football. Um, I think they've qualified for the Europa League by finishing in sixth. Um, and it's where they belong, isn't it, in the continental tournaments? Yeah, Milan have um, 
They've really been languishing a lot over the last few years, and it's quite sad to see because you, you, I think you look at the, the squad of players they've got, and there's a lot of players that you just think shouldn't be at a club like Milan. Um, and they've sort of had a bit of a merry-go-round with, with managers as well. Um, so I think Montella, he did really well with Sampdoria last, uh, last season. So I think he'd earned the chance to have a crack at, with one of the sort of bigger clubs, if you like, in Italy. And I, I, apparently, I. Um, They've agreed to sign Alvaro Morata, but either that could just be paper talk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're a special club, AC Milan. For me, I remember going with my dad to a Champions League final years and uh, Champions League quarterfinal. Sorry, at the San Siro, it was AC Milan against Ajax, and it's just just magical. The the atmosphere, the the class of the club, and those those red and black stripes are, are iconic. Mm. So we're going to to W now, and and we're dipping into into the championship, which is a division sadly we know quite well. Stevie being Villa Seven. or Cardiff fans, um, Susie maybe less so. But David Wagner, um, Jurgen Klopp's ex right hand man or um, youth coach, wasn't he? I think his best man at his wedding, um, and he went to Huddersfield, and what an impact he's had. Did they in the final on? Um, is that Saturday? Isn't it? I think yeah, yeah Saturday. Um. They're the only club in the country who have a jazz bar at their stadium. Um, but I'd love to see Huddersfield go up. Mostly because I'm seeing um, other teams who haven't been in the Premier League in the Premier League, but mostly because he's been he's just been that exciting. I'm guessing, but oh, Susie, you don't you don't want Huddersfield to go up. <laughs> I want to go to the jazz club. No. <laughs> <laughs> I I to be perfectly fair, I have seen virtually nothing of Huddersfield. Um, but I'm wondering, a question for you both, um, is Wagner's, is his coaching style uh, similar to Klopp's? Is it comparative? I think so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that uh, obviously being so close to Klopp, I think that, I think the thing about Jürgen Klopp is, is it's not just him, isn't it? There's such a, he's got a foundation around him and that built at Dortmund that they all bought into that. And that's why he was so keen to bring Wagner with him to Liverpool. Um, obviously, Wagner wanted to go to Huddersfield and and do his own thing. And it's been it's been a remarkable season for them. And and they've played some of the best football in the Championship. Um, you know, they looked for certain for a while to get the automatic places. So fingers crossed they can do it in in the playoff final because I think it'd be great to see them in the Championship in the Premiership. And we'll move on to to X now. Um, Again, along with along with Totti, I'm really sad to see this this man retire. And Susie, I'm sure you are too. Um, Xabi Alonso, um, one of the just the classiest players of, of his generation. And um, yeah, give give us a bit of insight of, of how the feeling is in Bayern towards him retiring. It's uh man brought in under Pep. Um, uh, he thrived in 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 Guardiola's system. I think uh, the short passing and. Uh, and the quick uh, sort of decision-making, kind of uh, that pivot in the middle of the field, um, just spraying the ball out everywhere. Um, he's a little less dynamic under under Carlo Ancelotti, and I think Ancelotti overused him this year, possibly. Um, and the, the technical style, the way that Bayern played between the two coaches is, is pretty vastly different. And... Um, Unfortunately, I think uh, not as a whole, but this season his reputation suffered a little bit 
because of it. And I don't think that it's necessarily um, Alonzo's fault. Obviously, not the quickest guy in the world, um, but has Wait, a brilliant, brilliant footballing mind um, yeah. on top of being just a stand-up guy, you know, all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll miss him terribly. I it, It's really, really sad to see him go. Um, Bayern, Bayern's looking for an assistant coach um, who was a former player. That's kind of what the rumors are right now. Um, I'd love for him to get his coaching badges, and I'd love to see him back at Bayern eventually someday. Amazing. So we'll move on to to why which we've got down as young stars and we've kind of tied this in with our embed maradona 100 list um which for, for those who who know and or maybe don't know um we round up every year the top 100 players across the world that we think will have the biggest impact in world football um and we've been doing that for a number of years and we released the this year's list um, in January and we'll be reviewing it again in December but it's been a great year for young talent hasn't it you know we've seen people like Davinson Sanchez at Ajax he was he was incredible against United regardless of their loss um T. Elements has had a great season again Gabriel Jesus has come into Man City and done incredibly um Dahlberg's done great Deli Ali. I mean the list goes on and back but Dembele um it's been a great year, hasn't it? Who's been the pick for you guys? Um, for me, it's Mbappe. Um, I was pouring about him earlier and don't give him the opportunity to do it again because <laughs> I will. Um, but it's it's him for me. What about you, Susie? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to be a Bundesliga homer and say uh, Timo Werner. Okay. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> been, uh, I, I, I was waiting for you to go for Joshua Kimmich being a Bayern fan. Uh, I, think, I think that last season... I would have said Kimmich all the way. Um, uh, this season, he's been underutilized by uh, by Ancelotti. Uh, I mean, he's he's a stud and and such a star, um, but he really didn't get a lot of playing time. I think uh, you start to really see the rewards uh, starting next season. He'll be taking over Lom's spot at right back, okay. which upsets a lot of people, but. Uh, but his upside is is fantastic. Yeah, and I think I th- this year's 100 list, and I said there's an excellent pool of young young talent um, young this year. And you know, throughout the years, we've I said we earlier that we've got a few wrong. Um, you know, in, in 2012, we had Junior Hoyler on there. He's now at Cardiff. I can't <laughs> quite believe that he's on there. Chris Woods. Um, you know, a lot of people that that have gone gone wrong but I, I look at this year's Paul and you know I, I might be proven wrong but there's just so many that I I look at and think are going to have great careers um, so it's really exciting to see to see what will happen with them and on yeah I look our... forward to revisiting that list in December yeah I mean I'm scrolling through it right now as I look and I'm you know and uh, obviously I wasn't within bed with Maradona when the list was picked but long time longtime fan of the site um there are many 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 pluses on the list i think uh mm-hmm. y'all did a great job in in picking them this season <laughs> yeah we get we get quite a lot of stick a lot um i think we missed off <laughs> we missed off rashford one year um maybe two seasons ago when it when he really really boomed but you know we miss a few but i think more often than not 
we do get them right. You know, people like Lacazette and um, Lukaku, uh, Dybala. You know, we did we did predict those early on. So I think we can take credit. I think that all the scouts in world football obviously read the one hundred. <laughs> but we'll move on to our last letter now, which is Z. Um, and not a lot of choice for Z. I think I think this might be the the tricky letter throughout the season. Um, but we've gone for Zidane, and you know he he's guided Madrid to to the league title again. Um, he's in the Champions League final. Um, it's been a great season, and I think everyone's been really really impressed by how how well he's done as a manager. Yeah, especially when you um, you consider all the injuries that he's had to deal with this year, and you know I think mostly I'm just glad that he's it's worked out because how disappointing would it be if Zinedine Zidane had been a bad manager? <laughs> <laughs> because he's such a legendary player, like, and then to turn to managing and to fail would be yeah. almost unfathomable you know like and it's totally so damaging at his his legendary status throughout football for the rest of his life i think and he just looks the business doesn't he? In, in in a black suit stood on the <laughs> sidelines he just looks the business yeah he's he he's a sharp looking guy he's <laughs> <laughs> slowly turning into but... a zidane loving <laughs> <laughs> how can it not i mean it's come true. on guys and where does Perez, you know, Real Madrid keeps managers for a relatively short tenure, despite success. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Uh, where do you where do you envision him possibly going after after Madrid? Mm. No idea. No, I mean, yeah. I'd like to think that this is the manager that that stays at Madrid for a number of years and really. I mean, they've always been at the top of the game, but turns them into the dominant force, like like Pep did with with Barcelona. Um, and I think because it signals a change in the the Perez's appointments, you know, he usually goes for the world's best managers, doesn't he? And, and Zidane was promoting from within, obviously a big name. But you know, it'd be interesting to see where where he does go. Whether it's a return back to France, the national side, maybe after that. Um, mm. Be interesting to see. Um, oh, he's, he's so entrenched in Madrid as well. We, you know, his his sons all play for for the youth teams, and yeah. you know, it's, I think it's where he had um, where he, you know he enjoyed a lot of success there as a player, and he's he's been doing his coaching there. It's almost like you can't see him at another another club. Um, yeah. I think I think the Nash, French national team is a good shout though. I can see that. You heard it here first. Well, we'll um, we'll wrap it up there, guys. Um, so that's been the first ever in Baby Maradona podcast, and thank you both so much for for joining us. Um, where can people find you on on the internet? Uh, I'm at Stevie Green Eleven. Perfect. What about you, Susie? Uh, I'm at Football Susie F U S S B A L L S U S I E on the tweets. Perfect. And I'm at Scott Salter, um, Scott and then S-L-T-R. And you can follow follow In Bed With Maradona um, at In Bed With Maradona, minus the T-H in the with. Um, and, of course, uh, on InBedWithMaradona.com, um, where you can find some fantastic content and, and our fantastic editors there. Um, but we'll leave it there, guys, and thank you and goodbye.